I called Kendall on his way to Brazil. He was going to fill in for my brother this morning for the final time, I believe. He'll be back in the pulpit uh, on the 10th, and they've got somebody else covering on the 3rd. So I think Kendall will be uh, with us uh, from here on out, which is good. But I wanted to give him a call, and I figured I'd uh, probably find him somewhere around Indianapolis. And I called him and said, hey, Kendall, I'm not sure where you're at right now, but I just want you to be careful he said, well, I'm on 465, been there for about 15 minutes, why, what's up? I said, well, be careful, because I just saw in the morning news that there's some lunatic driving around 465 going the wrong way. And Kendall said, lunatic, nothing, there's dozens of them. Okay, that's not a true story. But um, you ever feel like you're going the Anybody ever felt that way? You, you just, you're just kind of going through life, and it feels like every time you, you take a turn, there's something there coming at you that's going uh, the wrong way, or you're the one going the wrong way. If you've ever felt that way sometimes, I know it's hard to know which way to go, and sometimes life is coming at you so fast, you can't even see what you're supposed to be doing. You don't even know uh, what step to take next. And today we're starting a brand new series that coincides with our capital campaign, and we're calling this series Thrive. That's the campaign name, that's the series name, and it is Thrive. And I don't know if you caught the words in that video there that we shared just a moment ago, but the song says we were made for so much more than ordinary lives. We were made to thrive. The church was made to thrive. Columbus Christian School, I believe, was made to thrive in the name of Jesus. And sometimes it's hard to navigate through some of the junk that Satan is throwing at us. And I believe we have to keep the vision. We have to keep going in spite of the things that Satan is, is throwing at us. I believe God gave us this precious gift of a church. He gave us this precious gift of a school. And he wants us to do our best to carry out the mission and the vision of each of those things, not to the best of our ability, but to his ability. And, and so um, that's what we want to talk about starting today and continuing for the next uh, several weeks. I read something this last week that I thought was absolutely crazy. Anybody here want to hear something crazy? Okay, good. Uh, I read this the other day. Walt Disney never saw the opening of Disney World. Can you believe that? He, he was not there during the opening ceremonies. He never saw his dream come to fruition. And at the opening ceremonies, it's reported that someone said to Walt's wife, it's a shame that Walt wasn't here to see this, to which she responded, he did see it or it wouldn't be here right now. Now, I'd like to say that a year ago, 
we saw this grand vision that we came up with, that the elders and the staff and the school board came up with this grand vision, but the truth is this vision came a long time ago. Um, I, I wish we could take credit for a lot of it, but uh, the church back in 1976 had the vision to start a school, and then around the turn of the century, there were a bunch of people in the church that had the vision to, um, to, to build on in their forward and faith campaign. In fact, they had so much vision when they started the, the uh, forward and faith campaign and the building program that they ordered 25,000 extra bricks just in case we added on someday so that when it came time to build the building, the bricks that were used to build that part of it down there would match uh, when we made the expansion. So all of those bricks that you you see out there, maybe when you drove in, 25,000 of them, we've been storing them at Dave and Jackie Pardick's, and they are thrilled to see those bricks on the church property right now, I'm pretty sure. But while the truth of the matter is, we, we kind of have this vision of going forward. Uh, the church saw this a long time ago. Uh, and I've prayed about and I've pondered and, and I've probably poured over this message more than any I've preached in, in recent memory. And as I was uh, praying about this, it seems my mind was taken uh, to all those people who came before us to give us what we have today. I'm so thankful that um, there were people that when the church was up the road at the corner of Indiana Avenue and Cherry Street, that there were people who had the vision to move to this corner. If you were a part of that group that moved, would you just raise your hand real quick? Were you in the church then that was going up there? God bless you for having the vision and the courage to, to do that. Can we just give the Lord a hand and give them a hand for seeing that? And then... Not long after the church moved down here, the church was struck by lightning, and it burnt to the ground and had to rebuild again. And uh, I'm just thankful that there were people in leadership who had the vision and the courage to move forward and give us what we have now. And today, I feel like we stand on the cusp of doing something pretty special in the life of our church and in the life of our school. In fact, I think we have the opportunity to do something pretty extraordinary. And over the next several weeks, we're going to discuss how to thrive through giving, how to thrive through trust, how to thrive through commitment. And today we're going to kick off our campaign by talking about thriving through vision. I'm thankful that we have this opportunity to carry out a vision that we believe God has given us because the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, we've heard that passage of Scripture probably a lot in our lives, but there's two words that I want to point out to you that I think that maybe clears up what uh, the, uh, the writer, Solomon, what the writer of Proverbs was saying to us here. There's two words, vision which uh, is the Hebrew word kazon, not calzone. That's a completely different thing. Wonderful as well. But kazon basically means to have a sight, a mental image that is a dream or a 
revelation. And so that's what we're dealing with here, what the writer of Proverbs is saying. Without having this mental sight, without having this mental view or this dream or this vision. And then the second word that we have here for perish is the Hebrew word parak. And that means to loosen or dismiss or avoid or go back. So when you put those two thoughts together, I think for our context today, a better understanding for us would be this. Where there is no vision, we're going to go backwards. Where there is no vision, we're going to continue to uh, either plateau, maintain, and eventually we'll go backward. I, I learned a long time ago that when you stop growing, you start dying. And I don't want to paint anybody or any church in a negative light at all because some of you that are sitting in the congregation right now were with me when I was at my previous ministry. But when I was there, our church grew from about 150. We hit 600 a few times, you know, and, and things were just absolutely exploding. We had baptized 125 people in one year. It was absolutely going crazy. And we had no parking. People were walking for blocks to get to church, and we had absolutely no parking. And so we had a big meeting, and in this meeting we decided uh, that we needed to relocate and we needed to build a new building because we were packed out in two services and we had no room uh, for growth. And the leadership um, decided that we were going to stay put. And I believe that when they decided to stay put and say, we're not going to continue to grow, that is what the proverb writer Solomon is saying, where there is no vision, you start to go backward. Without going forward in the name of Christ and gaining new territory, you start to go backward. And I think without the vision that we have now, without this expansion that we've been talking about and that we voted on a little while ago, without that, I think we are avoiding what we need to do in order to grow this church and to grow the school even more. And we're going to start to go backward. That's my fear. I don't want that. I want growth for our church. I want growth for our school. Uh, I read something uh, this week as well that I thought was kind of interesting. About 350 years ago, a shipload of travelers landed on the northeast coast of America. And in the first year, those pioneers, they established a town site in that very first year that they were there. The next year, they established a town government. In the third year, the town government planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. And in the fourth year, the people tried to impeach their own government because they thought it was a waste of public funds to build a road five miles into the wilderness. Who needed to go out there anyway? Right. Here we had, now this is amazing to me because you think about this story. Here are these people who traveled from uh, Great Britain, from England. They came across the sea who had enough vision to hop on a boat travel 3,000 miles across the ocean, overcome all of these hardships to get here, but in just a few years, they weren't even able to see five miles out in front of them and what could be there. This church has done amazing things down through the years, but I, I don't want to just sit here and just stay right where we're at. I think we're in a very, very...
position right now to expand our vision, to pioneer into maybe wilderness. I don't know. It might not be all that pleasant at times. I don't know. But what a shame for that settlement to just become content and not go any further than what they could have gone. I think with a clear vision that we have, we can go out in the name of Jesus Christ and no ocean of difficulty will be too great that we can't overcome. I was uh, sitting at the Spire conference last week. I, I know I alluded to that already. And Kendall and Sandy and Stacy and I, we were all there. And we were listening to a speaker by the name of Jonathan Pakluda. And I really like Jonathan Pakluda. Uh, he, was, he was fantastic. And one of the things that he said that really just resonated with me, that I'm not going to be able to get out of my mind or in my heart anytime soon, he said, unless your church reaches the future generation, your church has no future. I want that to sink in for just a moment. In fact, can we all just read that out loud together? Unless your church reaches the future generation, your church has no future. Stacy and I packed up the boys around 17 years ago and moved our family here to East Columbus Christian, partly because we saw that the ministry on this corner of Indiana Avenue and Mar Road was uniquely poised to make a huge impact for Jesus Christ. It's one of the reasons I was willing and excited, really. And I, I got to tell you, it was really gut-wrenching because I love people in, in our old church. But it was, it was gut-wrenching, at the same time exciting to think that God would allow me to be a part of such a unique ministry that was serving the entire kingdom. And again, while, while the church numbers might not be as big as what we had down there, when you look at the whole kingdom and how God was using Columbus Christian School to reach into over 60 different congregations and minister to them Monday through Friday for 10 months out of the year, well, there's not a whole lot of churches doing that sort of thing. And so the potential for this church and for this school to minister to the dozens of churches in this community was very appealing to us. And it's had its ups and downs. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be very honest with you. Both the church and the school, we've had our ups and downs. But that's just how ministry goes. If you're perfect, if, ever, if you're perfect, you're not allowed to be here. Amen. If you're perfect, get up and walk out right now, please. We don't want you here, right? We're not a perfect church. We're not a perfect school. We're going to make a lot of mistakes. But I am more excited than ever about the potential that we have as a church and a school to reach families for Jesus Christ. And we said in our presentations that before we voted to move forward, which, by the way, still amazes me that we got 94%. On that, But we said during our presentation, as the wing is built onto the school, the junior and senior high will have much needed and adequate education space that will enable the school to thrive. And at the same time, that's going to open up space in the church and that will enable us to do some pretty incredible things in our youth and children's ministry, which is our future generation. Let me refer you back to Jonathan Pakluda. If you don't reach the future generation church has no future. And so I believe that uh, we're going to have 
all the space we need right now for many of our groups to have meetings and studies and fellowship gatherings without having to schedule around uh, different school activities. Sometimes those things collide. We won't have to deal with that anymore. The church will be in a position to thrive like we've not been able to do in a long, long time. We've been blessed with an amazing uh, youth and children's minister in Lauren. Would you agree with me on that? And we're going to be able to give her minister to these little ones that you see here in the congregation today. And little one, I apologize to you on behalf of Lauren for having to sit here and listen to me today. But Lauren had a family situation come up that she had to be with. So you keep her in your prayers as that all unfolds. And, and we're just going to trust God that everything's going to work out. They're okay for her, uh, her family. Um, but um, she's doing an amazing job with our kids. And we want to give her all the resources possible to reach kids. Statistics tell us that 85% of people who make a decision for Christ do so before the age of 18. 85%. The children and the youth are our future, and we need to make sure that we're doing everything that we can do with what the Lord has given us to reach as many people as possible. So here's what I want to do for the next few minutes. Uh, I want you to do some, some soul searching. I want you to look at an example of Scripture that I'm going to share with you in just a moment, and I want you to ask yourself this question, do I consider myself a person of vision? Do I consider myself a person of trust and commitment and stewardship? Before we get into this example, though, I want to share with you one of the most common reasons that I've heard that some people don't see the need for what, what we're doing. Some people just don't agree with, and that's okay, what we're trying to do. But here's the number one thing that I've heard in the last several weeks since we have brought this to the congregation. We're in the middle of a pandemic and we don't know what the economy is going to do. How can we take on that kind of um, situation in the middle of a pandemic? And that makes sense. And honestly, at the beginning of us talking about this, I was kind of in that camp. I wish I could say that I saw this a long time ago and my vision was, hey, let's do this. But it, early on, I was kind of in the camp of, hey, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We can't do this. But my mind was immediately taken to a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Joseph. And remember how his brothers hated him. He was sold into slavery. He was accused of wrongdoing by Potiphar's wife. But in God's timing, he became an outstanding leader who used his position and he used his knowledge and he used his influence to create a better world, not only for him, but everybody around him. And the book of Genesis considers him to be a patriarch of the faith because of his excellent contribution to the Hebrew family and to ancient civilization. What important lessons can we learn? Here's the first thing, all right? There's four qualities very quickly. The first is this, and you're going to have to write all these out because Lauren also does our Sunday morning handouts and she's not here. So sorry about that. You're going to have to just write on your neighbor's arm or something like that and then call him later and say, hey, what I write down? Anyway, here you go. Here's the first thing. He was a visionary, all right? People who are obedient to God, people that God uses in mighty ways to gain territory in his kingdom are people who have vision, people who are not afraid to share their dreams. In chapter 37, verse 5, Joseph said, listen to this dream I had. Now, I understand that Joseph had this miraculous ability to see dreams and interpret them. That's not what I'm talking about here, but some of the same principles apply. Joseph had, had seen what was going to happen in the future. 
And I don't think it takes a rocket scientist for us to sit back and say, I see what's on the horizon. When we see some of the things that are being taught in our school, when we see some of the things that are being done in the political arena, when we see some of the things that are on TV and the things that are on the Internet and all of these things that are just flooding our kids with negative thoughts and attitudes and feelings, it takes a rocket scientist to see what's on the horizon. Joseph had this dream, and he could see what was coming. A famine was coming, and he knew that he had a mission to fulfill in life. He had a destiny. And so he had this self-awareness. He had this, this known awareness of his destiny. And, and trust me, God will reveal this to you if, you, uh, if you're seeking him and if you're in his word and you're praying. Ask God to show you what, what uh, he wants you to see. The prophet Joel says this about God. Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will pro- prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see vision. And so vision is very important. And we have to have vision. We have to look out and we have to see that our world is troubled and the future of our world, not just our church, guys. The future of our world is dependent upon what the younger generation is being taught and what they're going to be able to do. And so... Without doing something, I fear we're in the danger zone of going backward. Again, Jonathan Pakluda, unless we reach a future generation, our church has no future. We could be in a lot of trouble if, if we don't start raising up our kids to know Jesus and to start gaining territory. I heard a saying one time that went something like this. If your vision is for just a year, plant corn. If your vision is for 10 years, plant trees. If your vision is for a lifetime, plant people. I want our vision to be for a lifetime where we are planting people all over this community, all around our world that's going to influence and change our society for Christ. You ever been watching the news or scrolling through the internet and you, you see this story and you go, man, I just wish things were changed. I, w- I wish things would get better and you feel hopeless and you just feel like you can't change. It's not going to change unless we start training our children up and we start planting missionaries to go out and do the work of Jesus Christ wherever they go. And it starts with our kids. Next we see that Joseph was a man of integrity, Right? People who are able to lead well in difficult times are people who are spiritually and morally responsible and financially responsible. They don't succumb to the pressures of the world to have to try to keep up with with other people and feel like they have to do this or do that. Joseph was not going to give in to the temptation of wealth even though uh, he... uh, he had whatever he needed, but he wasn't going to give in to the temptation of doing shady things to get more well. He was approached by Potiphar's wife to go to bed with her, and Joseph got out of there as fast as he could. And even though that led to him have, having false accusations made against him that landed him in prison, he did everything that God asked him to do. And we've talked about this before as well. Sometimes you can do the very thing that God is asking you to do, and you're still going to encounter trouble. Have you ever 
been there? Have you ever felt like, God, I'm doing exactly what you want me to do? Why isn't it smooth sailing? Here's why I think if you're doing exactly what God wants you to do, Satan ain't going to like it, and he's going to throw up every possible roadblock that he can possibly throw at you. The disciples were told by Jesus, get in the boat, go to the other side of the sea. What happened on their way over there? They're doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. And they encounter a storm, and it gets really, really rocky. Right? Jesus was doing exactly what the Father asked him to do. It landed him on the cross. And I'm going to be honest with you, in a few weeks, we're going to ask you to make a commitment to our capital campaign that might stretch you. It might make you uncomfortable. You might even encounter some difficulty along the way. But if it's what God is asking you to do, he's going to provide for you. God was with Joseph in whatever he did because he shunned what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. He was obedient to him. He didn't cave to all of the things that was going on around him. He jumped in with both feet to what God was asking him to to do. Joseph recognized that there was a supreme being who held him accountable for his actions. And God was pleased with it. Now, at the risk of sounding like a prosperity gospel preacher, I'm not, trust me, I'm not, I'll never go that direction, but there is a direct correlation in how much you trust God and how much he blesses. I had a great conversation this week with longtime church member Marilyn Crouch. I don't know if Marilyn's able to be here this morning or not. Uh, but she shared with me this week a 13-page document of all of the organizations that have asked her for money. Anybody relate to that? Right? 13 pages. She keeps track of everybody that calls her or everybody that sends her mail. She keeps track... 439 organizations have asked her for money, right? Who likes to be asked for money? None of us do, right? Because it makes us feel guilty or we're always thinking, like Marilyn was sharing with me on her piece of paper, that some of these addresses, it says they're the same organization, they're completely different addresses, and what they do is they copy from one or they share names and and addresses and contact information, all that kind of stuff. And, and so 439 people have asked her for money. And, it, and it guilt, it, sometimes you feel guilty because it seems like, oh, man, you know, this is a homeless vet. But, but it, and, and there's legit organizations out there. But there's some, they're just trying to take your money. And you feel guilty when you don't help them out. I felt guilty. Just the other night, Nick and I are coming out of Lowe's. And there's a little dude in a Boy Scout uniform, and he said, Mister, would you like to buy some popcorn from the Scout? I'm like, oh, man, no, don't do this to me. Is anybody like that? You just feel guilty because you don't. And I didn't buy it, and I probably should have, but I didn't. I didn't feel that guilty, but, it, you know, I still didn't like it. But, um, you know, people ask you for stuff all the time. People are always asking you for stuff. I, I pray about that, you know. Pray what God is asking you to do in this. I'm asking you to be obedient, right? And then um, we see that Joseph was competent. He was a visionary leader. He had a gift of, of, of political economy. He, he was able to solve this impending famine that was going on that was going to come 
you know, remember the story? The famine was coming, and 50, uh, or, or, uh, he instructed Pharaoh uh, what he needed to do to keep as many people as possible from dying. So God used his unique abilities to save not only his family, but a lot of people in, in the land. Wouldn't it be nice if God would use us to be agents of change in this incredibly polarized world? To influence our community, influence our world for Jesus Christ. Instead of just existing here in difficult times and hoping that we just kind of get through till Jesus comes back. Instead of that, wouldn't it be awesome to know that God was using us in a way that was really making him smile and really making Satan Take notice, right? I want that. I want us to be a blip on Satan's radar. Now, I'm not challenging him, and I'm not saying, hey, come after me. But I heard someone say one time, I, I may get it wrong, so bear with me. Um, if you're running on the same track with Satan, right, you're, you're probably not going to run into him. You're opposing him. You're going in opposite directions. You're going to collide with him. And so I, I'm not saying bring it on. I'm saying, I, I feel, and I'm not even saying we're on the same track with Satan. That sounds bad. I'm saying, um, I, I don't even know if we're a blip on his radar screen sometimes because it just seems like it's too smooth. I get a little bit nervous. And so I, I really want him to take notice of what we're doing here. But more importantly, I want God to take notice and be proud of us. The way he was proud of Joseph and what he was able to do in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. Here's the final thing. Joseph was engaged. He was a good steward of everything that God entrusted to him. Everything. His influence, his his thought process, his wealth, every, everything that God had given him, he was on board with it, and, it, and he basically, God, it's yours, whatever. You know, and I think sometimes we just kind of stand back and we want to hang on to stuff for ourselves, and a lot of Christians are afraid to commit and get involved, and, and uh, you know, a lot of times we even stay out of things like the political arena. We look at this ex ex example of Joseph, he dove right into the political uh, arena, and if that's your calling and you need to stand up for those causes, by all means do that in the spirit of God's wisdom. And His. And because he was able to do that, he was able to take a chaotic situation and turn it into good. And so we need Christian people to get involved in, in politics. We need people to be uh, problem solvers. We need people who know how to uh, manage in times of, of trouble, not only resources, but people. And you know as well as I do, these last 18 months have been very, very difficult. It's been a struggle in so many ways, and I'm not, you know, I think I've mentioned this before. I've, I've been in ministry for almost three decades now, and these, these have been the toughest 18 months of ministry that I've encountered. And it's been tough for you as well. It's been a struggle physically for a lot of people. 
It's been a struggle mentally for a lot of people. It's been a struggle financially for a lot of people. And it might seem crazy to go into a capital campaign in the midst of a pandemic. But I say, why not? I was always taught that we should attempt something so great that if God is not in it, it will fail. And if God is not in this building program, if he's not in this capital campaign, my prayer is, my hope is, we fall flat on our face if he's not in it. I would rather fall flat on my face in my own power and in our own strength of what we think rather than succeed with what we think, right? I'd rather fall flat on my face and be in the will of God than to succeed and be outside of his will. But I believe he's right in the midst of it. I believe he wants us to partner with him in doing something spectacular for his kingdom. And here's the deal as we, as we close up this morning. We are co-laborers with Christ for the kingdom. That's what the Bible tells us. We are partnering with Christ for the sake of the kingdom. We are co-producers of good. Look at what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says. For we are God's handiwork... We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so while I look back and I think, oh, wow, the people down the street on the corner of Indiana and Cherry saw this. That's awesome. And then the people uh, in, in, the, in the 90s and the turn of the century saw this. And now we say we see this. I want you to know that God saw this moment in time long before any of us. Or even on this planet. And I believe that he has uniquely gifted and blessed and positioned us as a church and as a, as a school to bless this generation. I think he's placed us here for such a time as this. And if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, I want you to just ask yourself, what does he want from me? Am I willing to give everything to God like Joseph did? Everything and, and be a person of, of vision, be a person of integrity, be a, a person who's willing to be engaged with all of the gifts that he's given me to competently go out and win people Christ, whether that's participating in the capital campaign or whether that's a ministry you just have of yourself. What's he asking of you? I'm going to ask you to stand with me and uh, we're going to have a word of prayer and we're going to sing a song of decision. And during this song, I want you to just pray about what God might be placing on your heart. It's no decision today. Um, I, just, I just want you to commit today to say, God, uh, open up my heart to what you want. And would you agree with me? Would you pray this prayer with me? God, if you're in it, may it succeed. If you're not in it, may it fall flat. Maybe you're here today and uh, maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. 
You've never confessed Him as the Christ. You've never repented of your sins or been baptized into Him. Um, wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for you to contribute to a capital campaign <laughs> if you don't know Jesus and see why we're doing this. For sure. So maybe, maybe that's where you need to start is to commit your life to Christ. Maybe recommit your life to Christ. And just forget about the capital campaign for a moment, but think about your eternity if you've not made that decision. I don't know, just open your heart to what God wants to do.